Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. And welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. And today I have on my good friend, Maddie Johnson. She is one half of Maddie and Skylar on Instagram. You guys may already follow them. And she's built such a fun brand lately. Fun fact, Maddie, we'll touch on this when you go through your story. But Maddie and Skylar were actually guests in my Airbnb years ago before I ever knew her through social media. So it's been like very full circle now becoming like peers with you in the industry and everything. And I know you're starting a book club for short-term rental hosts and investors, and you have so many fun things going on. So I want to pass it over to you. Can you introduce yourself and then guide us through your weaving journey of short-term rentals and how you ended up where you currently are? Yeah. So my partner, Skylar, and I started our short-term rental journey with Rental Arbitrage back in 2019 in San Diego. And we grew the arbitrage portfolio from one to four properties over the span of about a year and a half while we were both working our nine to fives in San Francisco. And we set aside. Oh, yeah. Can I pause you really quick? Like, how did that even happen? Because wasn't this, if I remember your story, like fresh out of college for the two of you? Why living in Northern California? Did you pick a place 10 hours away to invest and even do arbitrage to begin with? That's a really good story. So Skylar and I both went to the University of San Francisco. So we met during college and then we decided to live there afterwards. And we had experimented with so many different business ideas, to name a few. And we tried like dozens, but one of them was like a marketing agency that we did for a while. We almost started a vegan cheese brand for a while. And so we were just like chasing, like looking for a good idea. And then during that time, it was like very much so like San Francisco startup culture. So it was very common for your Uber driver to like have a side hustle or to like have a business they were working on. So I was in an Uber and I was telling this guy about how my partner and I were like trying to start a business. And he was like, have you heard of rental arbitrage? And I was like, no, I know nothing about that. Like I thought Airbnb was just for like wealthy people who had a second home. So he told me all about it. And then I was like, how do you know this stuff? Like, where do you learn this? And he followed this guy on Instagram. Well, he said he said Chris Choi was his friend. And I was like, I don't know if he's your friend or not. But Chris Choi was like this very like bougie, like drives a Bentley, like lives in San Diego and has like a million arbitrage units in San Diego. And so we followed him and I was like, okay, this seems like a very clear path towards entrepreneurship. Like there's already a business plan. I know where I can do it because this guy is having great success. So that's what drove us to San Diego. Okay, got it. So from San Francisco, how did you do this like remotely? Did you guys drive down and like meet with a landlord and rent the units or was this all done like virtually? Yeah, so we started it virtually. So we called probably like 20 like apartment buildings and then like small landlords. And I think we got about 
three or four tentative yeses. So over Christmas break, because we were both working, so we couldn't like take time off to go to San Diego. Skylar's family lives in Long Beach. So we went down to stay with them and would drive back and forth from Long Beach to San Diego to like go meet with the landlords. And then we got someone to say yes. And the apartment was empty. So we were able to actually set it up during Christmas break. So it was just like absolute chaos, sleeping on a mattress on the ground, running to Walmart every single day. But we got it done, I think, in like seven days. So it was very quick because we had to go back to San Francisco to get back to work after the new year. Got it. Okay. Okay. So you're back in San Francisco. You're operating. It was four arbitrage units at this point in San Diego. Okay. Uh, So we started with two. And then we got our third in June and our fourth, maybe September or so. Okay. Got it. Okay. So then from there, lead us through the rest of the path. Yeah. (laughs) So we had the four arbitrages and those are running really smoothly. Like we were able to like message guests and coordinate cleanings like from our jobs while we were working. And then we set aside all of the profit from those because the goal was eventually to like buy our own house. And I had been saving money throughout college. So I had a little bit of a nest egg as well. So we combined that with our profit from the arbitrage. And then we bought a duplex in Big Bear, California, which I always forget is how you and I met because we (laughs) broke your Airbnb to stay in while we were house shopping in Big Bear. I know you sent a message like, hey, we're booking this because we're actually shopping the area. And I was like, okay, like do you need a realtor? Like, how can I help? What do you need? Yeah. And then at that time, I feel like I, I think it was like two months later, I randomly like stumbled across your Instagram. The algorithm must have known I was like interested in short term rentals and fed me your account. And I was like, oh my God, like I hosted this girl. What a small world. And I think you had closed on the duplex. I was like following your whole journey, setting that up. And I know that went to shit. (laughs) That went to, it was (laughs) terrible. I forget all these like terrible things that we went through. I think my brain is like, just doesn't remember it. (laughs) But we did, so it was a duplex. So we were living in the front. We bought it as a primary residence. We lived in the front and we rented out the back. And so we had like done the renovation. You had given us like your tile guy and your contractors. So with their help, we got it all up and running. And then it was our first guest, our very first guest. We're back in San Diego, staying at our arbitrages because my cousins are visiting us. And we get a call that they just got back from dinner and the unit was filled with like two inches of muddy water because there was a flash flood in Big Bear. And like all the water from this neighborhood, if you're familiar with Big Bear, it's like the one that's like the new development up on the hill, a Mm -hmm. pipe in their development, like a tree fell on it or something. And all the water from up there just flooded our entire lot. And so there was like a water line two feet around the property and water had just like seeped through all the walls. What was even the process of like cleaning that out? Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I haven't thought about this in so long. I'm sorry Um, all these memories here. (laughs) This is a great lesson. So at first we're like, I I handle chaos very well. Like rarely do I get worked up about something going wrong. I think I'm just like a naturally very chill person. And so I'm like, you know, it's fine. Like we have insurance. We'll call the insurance people in the morning. They'll tell us what to do. They'll send whoever. And so we call and they're like, oh, we don't cover like weather related flooding. And so at that point, I'm like, literally, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to afford this? What are we going to do? And so I can't remember who we called, but I think we called like one of our former contractors and we're like, where do we even start with this? So he told us to rip up the carpet because there was carpet everywhere. So we were like cutting it up and it's soaking wet. So the carpet weighs like 
I don't even know how many pounds, but it's so heavy because it's like super saturated with water. So we cut it up, roll it up, take it outside. And then we cut, you know, a foot along all of the drywall so it can air out. We drive down the mountain to Home Depot, rent a bunch of dehumidifiers and fans and set them up and just like wait for it to dry. How long was the listing? Did you have to take the listing off of Airbnb at that point and get it ready for guests again? Yes, we had to take it down. We had to cancel a bunch of people, which was a super bummer because this was our first Airbnb that we actually owned. But of course, Airbnb was like, we sent them pictures and it's like, we have to cancel. There's nothing we can do. So yeah, we had to cancel. And I think it was down for, I don't know, I want to say two or three months because then after we had done the work to get the water out we just had the worst time with contractors and big bear like coming to do the work or doing it wrong and having to redo it so the process of fixing everything from the water damage took so long did the front side of the duplex where you guys were living was that damaged too no it was totally fine so the lot was on a downhill slope so the front unit was higher elevation than the back unit Got it. And I think this issue had happened before with the lot because the neighbors directly behind us, so down the sloping hill, on their side of the fence, they had built a concrete wall so that the water stopped before it got to their house and then just like pooled up towards the front of our lot. So like started at the back and then filled up to the front. Got it. So that it was- retaining wall like pulled everything and pushed it back. Yes. Yeah. So it oh, had boy. happened before and they didn't want it, the water on their lot, so they stopped it. One thing I am absolutely craving for 2024 is simplicity, but we all know that the setup process for a new short-term rental is anything but simple. That is why I'm so excited to tell you about HostGPO. By shopping with HostGPO, you can save up to 75% on furniture, decor, linens, amenities, and supplies, and they only work with a few select brands that are tried and tested to stand up to the wear and tear of guests. With HostGPO, there is no overwhelm of comparing hundreds of brands, variations, and product reviews. You just shop for what you need and rest assured that you are getting the best quality at the best price. Over 300,000 properties are already purchasing through HostGPO, and as the pool of customers grows, so do the discounts that HostGPO can negotiate for us hosts. By signing up through my link in the show notes below, you'll get an exclusive three months of free access to start shopping on HostGPO today. Thank you so much to HostGPO for sponsoring the show and for making it so simple to set up and restock our STRs. Okay, so after that, you relisted the listing like two or three yeah. months later. And then I know you guys eventually sold that property and mm-hmm. you ended up in New York of all places. So how did that happen? Yeah, so if I'm sure like a lot of people are familiar with the Big Bear Market and its ups and downs, but we bought it before it had gotten super popular. And we had a feeling that when we were considering sell it, that selling it, that it was the highest that it would ever be. So we decided to sell. And we had a price in mind where if we got an offer for that price, it would be a no-brainer for us to sell. So I think the house was in the market for like a month. And then we got an offer at the full asking price. And we made about $200,000 profit from the sale. So we used that money to like kind of transition out of our nine to fives and move to upstate New York. I had been here a few times for work and just like really loved it. There were a ton of really awesome deals. It was very affordable to live here. So we decided to just like move from California to upstate New York, which was a huge change because Skylar and I are both California natives. And the arbitrage San Diego units are still running this whole time. Yes, this whole time they're still running. Now they're not, but they were at this point. Okay, got it. 
So you end up in upstate New York. And why? Because I feel like a lot of real estate investors like New York is scary. It's a super tenant-friendly state. We know they just shut down short-term rentals. That's in the city, though. I don't know how is upstate like different or like what, I don't know, what was kind of like the reason for wanting to go there specifically with your goals? Yeah. So at this time I was working at a short-term rental fund and my job was doing acquisitions. So I was underwriting properties all over the country. And a lot of people don't like New York because it's landlord friendly, because the taxes are super high, because all of these different things. And in my head, I was like, okay, everyone's avoiding this area. And so there are very few good short-term rentals. Like there are a few really, really nice ones. And then most of them are just like mom and pops. They stumbled into hosting. It's not professionally designed or managed. And so I kind of saw an opportunity to go where no one else would. And we've had a lot of success with that. I love the little area that you like carved out for yourself. All of your, what's the name of your Instagram account for the love of upstate? Yes. If you guys are like into that vibe at all, like it's very cottage core, lots of mm-hmm. antiques, like countryside. It's so cute. The little like market you stumbled upon, every property yeah. that you show is so beautiful. So how did it work when you got up there? You guys bought a primary residence and then what are you doing short-term rental wise? Are you arbitraging there or you found partners to go in on investments? Like, you know, how did yeah. you like plant yourselves there? Yeah. So coming off of the Big Bear sale, we had enough money to like buy a primary residence. And so we came here a few times while we were still in California preparing for the move. And I think we tried to buy four different primary residences, but that was at a time where it was like super competitive. We got beat out on all of them. And so we were like, okay, we need to get out there because we need to start working. So maybe we just rent a place. So we found like this beautiful apartment to rent. And so we moved in here and where we live is the second and third floor of like a your standard like town home. Like our neighbors are right against our walls. It's like very, very like Gilmore Girls-esque. I loved it. And I was like, it's worth it for me to not buy a primary to get to live here. And then we moved in. We noticed that no one was living downstairs. Like we would like peek in the windows and it was totally vacant. And in Hudson, where we live, the only way that you can have a short-term rental is if your primary residence is on the same parcel as your short-term rental. And so I was like, perfect. This could be our only opportunity to have an SDR in Hudson unless we move. And if we were to buy the building that we live in, our mortgage payment, I think, would be like three times the rent that we pay because the property prices on the street we live on are so expensive. So now we have this studio on the bottom floor of our building as an arbitrage and we live on the second and third floor but are also preparing to arbitrage that while we go out and travel and kind of explore other areas of upstate New York. Okay and that's allowed they don't care that like I know it's technically your primary residence but if you're out and about you can still rent multiple properties on the same parcel? Yes but the one that we live in we can only rent it has to remain our primary which by New York state law is like more than six months. So the maximum we could rent out this one that we're in is six months a year. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. No, it's not bad at all. And and we love it here. So like we have attempted to like leave this apartment three times and every time we're like, oh, never mind. Let's just stay here. (laughs) How far is this from all of the other? Because I know that you just got your real estate license too. And now Mm -hmm. you're showing other short-term rentals, uh, other short-term rental investors, the properties in upstate. So how far are you from like the properties that you're showing and the good deals that you're finding? Yeah, a lot of them are, I would say, within 30 minutes to an hour of Hudson is like 
you have the Hudson Valley and the Catskills, which is a really popular area for short-term rentals now, which a lot of people know about. A lot of investors are coming in. And then my favorite area now is the Finger Lakes, which is about three and a half, three and a half hours west of Hudson. But the Finger Lakes is like a huge area and you have a lot of big cities like Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, and a lot of people in those cities tend to travel within the state. So it's kind of like a situation where they don't have a lot of options for Airbnbs because there aren't a lot of short-term rentals within this Finger Lake regions yet. So having the heavy regulation is almost like helping you guys out in a way because it's just like really yeah. limiting and blocking out the competition. Yeah, 100%. And I would say we we tend to go for areas like my ideal property is one that does not pencil with AirDNA. Because if AirDNA is telling you, can we like dive into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So it is, I will preface this with, you have to have a high risk tolerance and you have to be comfortable with the unknown. Okay. But my theory is, if you know, if I'm going to buy a short-term rental and I'm looking in Scottsdale and I find a house and I have 20 comps to do my underwriting and to really make sure that my revenue is going to be awesome, you probably have a thousand people also underwriting that property and Mm -hmm. also preparing to buy in Scottsdale. So what we really look for are markets where there's maybe like one good comp, if that. Some of the properties we buy, they are like, there's not a single good comp. There's, it's really hard to figure out what the revenue potential will be. But we found that there are ways to kind of like read between the lines to figure out if it's going to be a good deal or not without solely relying on AirDNA or other data sources. Can you tell us some of those things? And I think that that's going to be the title of this episode. My ideal property is one that doesn't pencil with AirDNA. I love yeah. that. I, I've kind of been like, I don't know, I've kind of arrived at that same conclusion, I feel like just in my business, but I have never like stated it that succinctly. Like that's such a good line, but you're right. Like I've told people a lot or when I have people ask me like, oh, what are the top 10 markets to invest in? And I'm like, if you are Googling top 10 markets to invest in every single city that you see pop up there, it's too late. <laughs> Avoid yeah. it. It's done. If it's showing up on a top 10 list, it's too late. So I really like the way that you just phrased that. So can you tell us kind of some of the, when you don't have data to go off of, like what are some of the like, I don't know, gut feelings that you're trusting or what other factors are you measuring? Yeah. So we'll use, we're under contract on this house that we're nicknaming the River House. And it's in an area that literally doesn't have a single comp, not only for like AirDNA, but also there's just like barely any houses there. So you don't have a lot of data period on the Airbnb side or on like the market side. Can I ask really quick too, in cases like this, what's your process when you like start to look at regulation? Like if there are no short-term rentals around, are you like, is it because it's illegal here? Or like at what point in your process are you just like checking that you're able to do this before you do any further research? Yeah, we check almost right away. So I have, I used to not do that and I would do my full spreadsheet and then I would call and I would get a no and I'd be like, oh my God, that's the most annoying thing ever. So I call like immediately. Okay. And where we are is super rural. So there are no rules. Like you will call and they'll be like, short-term rental what? Like they have no idea. <laughs> so that's something that we look for. And I know a lot of folks will say like, that's too risky for me or that's too dangerous. But I think living here has given us a better idea that like these local small governments have no time to even think about that. And they're not going to prioritize that until it becomes an issue. And so if you're the only full-time Airbnb, you're not going to be at the top of their to-do list to, you know, figure out regulations or taxes for. When these markets are so rural, how do you know that people are going to visit at all or find the property? 
Yeah, that's a that's that's the main problem that we try to solve when we're underwriting. So with this river house, what we did is we kind of started like who was going to visit our property. And it's about three hours from New York City and about three hours from Boston. And because there were no comps in the area that the house is in, what I did is I tried to find other markets that were the same driving distance from those two major cities or from one or the other. And then I looked in those markets to see what's the best, like what what's the best Airbnb within these other markets that are the same driving distance from my potential property. And then seeing what those properties had about them that was making them the top markets. And I think what we found primarily in upstate New York is that people really like to be waterfront, either a lake or river, pond, stream, whatever it is, hot tub, of course, but also the whole idea of like a wellness Airbnb retreat is really big. And we saw a lot of like three bedroom, two baths with a sauna, hot tub, cold plunge, outdoor shower, the whole shebang. That were the same driving distance from these major cities. We were able to say, okay, if people are driving three hours to go to this property, they're not visiting this city, they're visiting the Airbnb. Like the Airbnb is the destination. Mm -hmm. I can safely assume that they're also going to be willing to drive the same distance to mine if it has all of these things and then some that they're looking for when they're booking an Airbnb. Okay. Okay. So you're not looking for what's been done in your exact market, but if you can like replicate the same circumstances and factors, is that at least performing well somewhere comparable? Yes, exactly. Okay. So this property, how are you guys now like financing these new projects? I know that you've started working with partner investors and what has that journey been like? Yeah. So when we first moved to upstate New York, we kind of did like we kind of took a pause from buying any of our own properties. And our main source of income was a service where an investor could come to us and say, hey, I want an Airbnb in upstate New York. And we would find it for them. We would help them close on it. We'd help them design it, renovate it. And then we manage it for them. So we did five of those last year for five different investors. So we don't own any of that, but we got a pretty hefty service fee to do all of those services for them. So it was like a done for you Airbnb. And then that was like an experiment of its own. We were like, do we love doing this? <laughs> Number one, is this, it's the same effort and like mental stress as doing your own property. And yes, we got cash to do it, but we realized that it's not worth going through that process unless you're going to reap the benefits for years and years with like the recurring Airbnb income. So we and switched yeah. That done for you service, did it include management at the end of it? Like, were you going to be a co-host or get commission after that? Yes, we we offered them free management for a year included in the package. And Dang. then after, it was That's a really a good, good deal. Package. It was a great deal. Let me tell you, they got a really good deal. I am still living a with year. the year. Yeah. I could not. I could oh, not. Yes. I mean, these are the things that we do at the beginning, right? To like your foot in the door and then you learn Mm -hmm. it's not sustainable. (laughs) I quickly learned. And I think I was two months into like the managing these properties for free. And I met Federico, STR guide on Instagram. And I was like, you have to help me with this. Like I am going to quit short-term rentals and like, I don't know, live under a rock unless I get some help with this. So he kind of jumped in and is now managing all of those for me because I did not I did not think through what I was getting myself into with managing these properties for free. So now that you have a co-host on those, are you paying him? Because technically this was supposed to be offered to the owners for free, right? Yeah. 
I am paying him out of pocket to manage these to to free up my mental space to like oh my god not quit. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yes, really think through the long term implications of your offer before you launch it. After the year mark with these owners, though, do you think they'll renew with you for like a twenty percent commission or something, and then you can at least mm-hmm. I don't know recoup those costs? Yes. A lot of them negotiated a lower management rate. So one of them gets 10% forever after the first year, but he has two properties and they're really good performers. So that's, it would have been really bad if his properties were earning like 30, 40 grand a year, but Mm -hmm. I think they'll both be well over the six figure mark. And then the rest of the clients get 15% after the first year. And I think, I mean, it's hard to say. I hope they will all re-up because I think they've all had a really positive experience with Skylar and I in the setup process and now with FedA and management. And of the five, one has already come back to like initiate another project, which we will totally do for our returning clients. And it's still on the fence if we would do it for like a brand new client. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So you had that whole done for you service and that's what we're not doing that anymore or it's it's changed up. Like what's yeah. the new thing? Yeah, I think it's so hard to turn. It's really hard to turn down money, period. So like when someone comes <laughs> to us and they're like, hey, will you do this random thing for me? Like, will you design and stage or will you renovate and manage? It's hard to say no, but I think we've learned our lesson that we have to say no. Mm-hmm. Like our own portfolio and our own ventures have to be priority over like making custom packages for these investors who find us. So for my clients that I really enjoyed working with, 100% I would do it again because I know exactly what I'm getting into. But we have turned down a lot of new clients just because of the unknown. Like it's a very stressful process. It's a ton of money they're spending and you really learn a lot about these people going through that with them. And some of them are a lot harder than other clients. So it it worries me getting into a new relationship with a client like that. That is so long term. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, And I know you also recently got your real estate license and you're an agent now. Um, So where did that come from? Was that just like a natural progression from everything you were doing? And what's the goal with that? Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of randomly happened when I was living in Big Bear. Actually, I was like, maybe I should be a real estate agent. And I had started the process, but then it kind of fell off my priority list. So after we did these five properties with clients and we were they were up and running, we saw that all of them were earning like on average, 25% above the RDNA projection, some of them like 40, 50, 60% above. Amazing. So I was like, this is amazing. We need to do more of these. And so we raised capital for the first time. And the property that we bought with our group of investors was off market. So I went to the seller and like I was basically my own real estate agent throughout that whole process. And doing that, I was like, this is really nice. Like, I can talk to the owner directly. I can make my own terms. I'm not waiting on anyone else to do paperwork. And I'm not, he's not paying anyone commission. So I was able to knock six, 7% off of the purchase price because there were no agents involved. And so then I was like, okay, going back to the idea I had of being a real estate agent in Big Bear, I can definitely do that. And that's feasible for my life. Okay. Okay. So this was originally only a plan for your personal deals. You weren't going to be an agent yeah. for others. Yeah, it was just going to be for my own deals. And maybe for these these five clients that okay. went through the whole process, I would introduce them to a real estate agent. But I was still very involved because I was finding the property, walking them through closing. So I was like, I should also play that role because it's like an extra opportunity for five to 20 grand per client that I work with. 
I have said so many times on this podcast that finding a good, reliable cleaner is the single most important thing you can do to ensure a successful STR business. And if anyone has ever dealt with a bad cleaner, you know I'm right about this. Turno is here to solve that problem for us hosts once and for all. With Turno's Cleaner Marketplace, you can find your dream cleaner and have access to a whole network of backup cleaners in case of emergency. Once you find your trusted cleaner, use the Turno app to manage and automate the entire cleaning process from auto scheduling that gets synced directly to your booking calendar, auto payments, photo checklists, problem reporting, and inventory management. Right now, Turno is offering No Vacancy listeners a $150 Amazon gift card just for trying out Turno's Cleaner Marketplace and completing one clean with them. Just use the link turno.com slash no vacancy to unlock that offer and stop settling for cleaning quality that you're unhappy with. Again, that is turno.com slash no vacancy to find your dream cleaner and snag that bonus $150 Amazon gift card. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now how did that transition into you advertising your agent services like full out? Yeah, so I think. I think it was on the 2nd, January 2nd, 2024, I posted about being a real estate agent. And then I started our For the Love of Upstate Instagram, which just posts like daily, hopefully daily once we get, once we work up there, <laughs> daily deals in upstate New York. And I had like 15 to 20 people reach out like the day I posted. And I was like, I was not expecting this whatsoever. This is crazy. So I was kind of thrown into the deep end of becoming a real estate agent and have had to like learn very, very quickly. But I will say it's been it's been very hard. It's been a ton of driving, a ton of working on contracts and like really just feeling like I have no idea what I'm doing and feeling like a newbie again. It's really hard. But in less than 30 days, I'm under contract for like about one and a half million dollars worth of real estate, which is just crazy to me. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I know I don't I feel like a lot of realtors like people I've seen so many memes and stuff online where people think that they have like such an easy job and it's like oh you just like show somebody a house and then you get three percent commission and mm -hmm. the, you guys do not get enough credit for the driving and the open houses and the therapy that you are essentially yeah. offering so many of your clients I I am in the process I'm similar to you like I'm also trying to get my license but where you were in Big Bear a few years ago where it fell off your radar that's been me just like at the bottom of the priority list but the only reason I want to do it is for referrals I yeah. like vow to never walk anyone through a house or personally drive them ever so my <laughs> own deals and referrals that's like all I want but now that you've found this you know seeing that it is within 30 days you're under 1.5 mil is it going to be hard like does this align long term with your goals I guess like how yeah I don't know. How are you going to decide like to step back if you do or are you going to go all in, all in for this? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I, I don't think I have the answer yet on I it does not align with my goals. Let me just say that. Okay. But income is really great. And I think Skylar and I have spent so much time experimenting with so many different things and yeah. like jumping around that. And that's great. And we've learned so much, but we haven't built up that steady income that a lot of other investors or entrepreneurs have. And so we had the five, five clients last year. That was all the money we needed and then some. And then going into this year, deciding not to do that, we were like, how are we going to make money? Like we live in a beautiful apartment. We have nice cars and we don't want to give that up. So like, what are we going to do for our income? And so this year, axing the client services, it was like, okay, one of them is me being a real estate agent. And there's like 10 other things we want to try this year. 
to see, I guess, like number one, what we like the best and number two, what gives us the best return for our time spent. And I think that's where being a real estate agent might not match our long term goals. Like, although the income will be great, I'm spending so much time on it. Like it's constant driving, constant texts and calls like in the therapy sessions for the other agents. You would have no idea. Like, It's crazy. Other agents are probably more difficult than the clients themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them will have me on the phone for like 30, 40 minutes talking about their kids and work. I'm and it's sure. not just like, you know, it's great, but it is really time consuming. I think one reason like, I mean, I've followed you for years now and, you know, you're a friend. So I like I like watching your journey regardless. But one thing I really, really love about your Instagram lately is I feel like you've been so transparent on like your self discovery journey, if I'm even like phrasing that correctly. But I know you've become a very avid reader and you're constantly like posting excerpts and stuff from your books that hit with you and everything. You're starting a short term rental book club, which I'm so excited for. And I will sign up as soon as it's live. But can you kind of share a little bit about that? Like what the what it's been like being vulnerable online and how it's paid off for you? Because this is all tricky stuff like you're I don't know, just hearing your journey, it's very, very relatable. Like my income was not consistent for the longest time. It still honestly isn't. Like my co-hosting business is my most set, but even that is a very, very seasonal market. And so it's, I don't know, all of us that go into this world, like have to learn how to deal with variable income and constantly pivoting and trying new things. And as soon as something's working, you realize that it's not fulfilling you. So you drop it, even though the money's good. I don't know. So like, what are some of the lessons and stuff you've learned? Or do you want to share any of the books you've read that like, any key takeaways recently that yeah that hit? yeah I think on the point of being more vulnerable about my self-discovery I think before maybe these past few months I, th- I started being a little more open with what I post on social media back in October and it started with reading and I feel like when I was sharing these little snippets of the books that I was reading I was also able to like not only share the snippet but share how that makes me feel and how that like applies to my own life. And so many people would like relate to that. And that was really encouraging to see like when I am more vulnerable, I'm helping other people and they are DMing me and they're saying like, oh my God, I feel the same way. And I had no idea anyone else felt that way. Mm-hmm. So that's been really encouraging. And I think I'm still just starting to be more open because I think all of us on social media, at least me, I have a, I have a certain way that I want people to perceive me. And that's silly because I can't control how, how other people perceive me and I can't control what they think of what I share. And so sharing more openly and more honestly about my mistakes, I know it's helping some people. And if I hadn't shared that, it wouldn't have helped them. And so that's kind of encouraging to keep going. But every time I hit post on like a vo- vulnerable thing or if I tell a story about my mistakes, it's like panic. It's true panic. Like, should I have posted that? Are people going to think I'm not good enough because I made this mistake? Or are they going to think I'm weak because I feel this way? So it's definitely a constant journey. It's really hard. Like, you know, here you are saying like, I'm I'm brand new to being an agent and I have no idea what I'm doing. But within 30 days, we're under this much in contract. Like, do you like for me, I get nervous with stuff like that. Because I'm like, if I shared that and admitted, I don't know what I'm doing no one's going to hire me as their agent. Like I get so caught up in my head of like what to admit and stuff. And I feel like in the early days of my account too, I was way more transparent. Like I would post like, hey guys, what PMS are you all using or something, right? Because it was like I genuinely wanted the answer. And now I'm like, oh, people turn to me for advice on what PMS to use. Like, am I allowed on my own Instagram to ask 
what you guys recommend. Like yeah. it's weird to like establish that or try to be like in a thought leadership position or an authority and then also have questions. So how do you yeah. deal with that? Because I'm struggling with that. Yeah, I, I love that you brought up thought leadership because I feel like there's two ends of it. Like one end, which I think a lot of us are really good at, is like bringing up new thoughts or things to think about practically within the short term rental space. Like I know PMSs have been a big conversation on your channel. And so you're like thought leadershiping that conversation. And I think there's also thought leadership to be shared all in the like emotional and on the personal side. And so I, I think it's like a mix between the two. Like you want to showcase your expertise and you want to showcase how good you are at what you do, but you want to share the results. But at the same time, at least me personally, I also want people to like know that I'm human and I am more, way more similar to them than they realize. Like we'll meet people sometimes and they're like, oh, wow, you're so normal. Like, I didn't think you'd like be like this or I didn't think we'd go along. Or I'm like, we are the most normal. Like we have the same fears and same struggles, but a lot of us have an extra fear of not being willing to share those fears mm -hmm. and struggles and mistakes. Mm -hmm. How do you know when you're reading something and like a light bulb moment hits that it's worth sharing? Because a lot of my light bulb moments happen more about like entrepreneurship more broadly. And I'm like, oh, I've niched my account down to where it's like, it's short-term rental content. Like, can I share this on here? Yeah. So how do you know, like sometimes when something like resonates with you, but it might not be what your audience followed you for? Where do you find that line of what to share? Yes, I, I think a lot of that comes from just like sharing a lot. Like with the book content, I share almost every morning. I try to share every morning. And sometimes I get 50 likes and like a bunch of DMs. And sometimes it's literally crickets. And so I'm like, okay, they don't really care about that stuff as much. That's totally fine. But Skylar and I have also been talking a lot about like entrepreneurship in general, because my major in college was entrepreneurship. I worked at an early stage startup for actually like four, four or five really early stage startups in the Silicon Valley. So my background is purely entrepreneurship. And we kind of have this theory that a lot of entrepreneurs or people who are born entrepreneurs start in the short-term rental space because it's such a simple path and such a baby step into pure entrepreneurship. Like we're relying on Airbnb for your business. So in some ways you might not be an entrepreneur who's like running a venture-backed company, but you're still learning all the skills that you need to be an entrepreneur. So I have a theory that even though all of us share primarily about short-term rentals, a lot of our followers and a lot of aspiring hosts or current hosts are just entrepreneurs in general. And this was the easiest first step for them towards entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. We just posted some polls on our Level Up Your Listing Instagram account because we're just trying to like cater some of the sponsors and stuff. And I, Tatiana and I wanted to see if it was worth pursuing other sponsors that are outside of short-term rentals specifically. So beyond the dynamic pricing and the PMSs and all of that. And I, one of the questions we posted was like, what are your career goals? Is it just managing your portfolio and that's it? Or do you want to do any services for hosts, co-hosting, get into coaching or education? And I think only 13% of people answered just managing their own portfolio and that was it. And everybody else, so what is that, 87% wanted to do some sort of like branch off of this, which mm -hmm. I thought was so I don't know, just so eye opening, like everything that you just said is completely spot on. Like people who have the itch to get into this want more. This might be the stepping yeah. stone, like you said, but they all want more. And as soon as you see the traction, it's so easy to be like, wait, I could co-host for someone else. Like, wait, I could stage for people. I could be a runner. I could be a cleaner. I don't even have to clean. I can scale that down and like be at the top and like hire cleaners below me. Yeah, I feel like as soon as you get into this world, like you just see so many doors open. 
and your journey like shows that so clearly. It started with four arbitrage, started with two arbitrage units in uh-huh. San Diego and everything that's spawned from there. Like, would you have ever imagined that last year you'd have five clients only? Five clients would be enough to let you guys live comfortably and continue your investing goals off of five people. Yeah. No, I I had no idea what to expect. And I, I think like going to school in San Francisco and working for venture-backed startups and I studied entrepreneurship and in, in school, it was very much so like you're an entrepreneur once you have a huge business that is backed by Silicon Valley Bank and you have all these cool investors and you're on your Series C. And so that was my idea of what entrepreneurship was. And now I'm like, that is that is such a small, small portion of what entrepreneurship is. Like being an Airbnb host as an entrepreneur, like being a content creator. All of these things are versions of entrepreneurship. And I think it's really helped me kind of expand my perception of what entrepreneurship can be. And I think we'll see a huge pipeline of maybe co-hosts to Airbnb investor to venture-backed entrepreneur. Like I'm really excited to see that development. Yeah. What do you have any like predictions for what you think might come with that? I'm putting you on the spot with that question, but since you bring it up, I'll ask. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good one. Well, let me start with my favorite ones. (laughs) Manoa and obviously we're both really big fans of, and I think they just raised their series A. And what I've told them this, like what I really want to see from them or what I'm hoping they can develop is an alternative to Facebook and Instagram and just digital advertising. So the cost for acquiring a customer has just gotten so expensive over the past three to four years. And I think of Airbnbs as like the perfect playground for product testing. Like they're sleeping on the mattress, they're testing the pillows, they're using the sheets and the towels, they're drinking the coffee. And so I would love to see a company, and maybe it's Manoa and maybe it's someone else, that is able to say, okay, hey, all of you drink brands, if you gift your sodas to 100 Airbnb properties, your cost per acquisition or your CAC for new customer is going to be half the price of your advertising on Facebook and Instagram. Because I think us as hosts are sitting on a gold mine and could be compensated for product placement within our Airbnbs. It benefits us because we could get some of our supplies for free. It benefits the guests because they're getting a bunch of extra perks. And it benefits these like direct-to-consumer companies because they have an alternate route to digital advertising. I'll give a shout out on that to Showplace. They were a sponsor of Love Up Your Listing Summit. And I forget what episode number it is. But we've had their CEO, Justin, on the show before. And if you guys are signed up for Showplace's newsletter, they actually do a lot of that. Like once or twice a month, you'll get an email blast that's like Chewy Granola Bars wants to give away like 300 free boxes to hosts. So it's not paid product placement at this time, but they will give you free product. And then at the end, they want you to like fill out a survey. Like, did any of your guests comment on this? Did any of them include having this like in the reviews or anything? And they've done it with a ton of different products, like e-bikes, like just there's so oh, many good awesome. deals. So get on their mailing list. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one where there's just like randomly like deals. And it's like first mm-hmm. 20 people to sign up, you get like a free bathrobe to put in your listing or something like that. So there's definitely brands experimenting with that already. I love that. And I think the sooner they can go to brands and say like, here's your CAC or here's here's the results, the sooner mm-hmm. someone can capture that, I think it's just going to skyrocket. Yeah, totally. I had no idea with this whole venture back conversation. Like I've now that I'm like more in this industry and stuff and like attend a lot of conferences. It's crazy what you hear. Like I'll hear that some dynamic pricing company, some PMS raised $20 million. And I'm like, what? Like I didn't even know there's so much money to be made out there that like it's it's hard to comprehend if you're in your own like little bubble, just like 
hustling and scraping by for every new co-host client, like trying to charge for a late checkout so you can make 30 bucks extra. There is so much more wealth out there to be made. If you just think bigger, it's crazy. And how many people there's a I won't name them, but I found out through the grapevine one brand that you would all be very, very familiar with in this space. Literally, the CEO started that brand with the hope that it would be bought out by Airbnb. And it wasn't within like 12 months. He started it for that reason. It was not. So now he's just running it and just hoping to build it up to the place where it can be bought out by Airbnb. But even that was like such a mindset shift for me that I was like, wait, people start companies just to sell them? Like, where have I been? I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I know. I I wouldn't have known it was a thing either. But when I was in college, I got an internship with a company that like it was just me and the two founders and we didn't have any products. So I went through the entire process with them from like inception of the company, doing a seed round. And then their Series A was led by Unilever. And the CEO was just like an amazing mentor to me. So she would take me to downtown San Francisco. We would meet with like L'Oreal and Revlon and Unilever, like all these crazy companies. So I was exposed to that world so early on that I've always known it exists, but haven't applied that to my own journey yet. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, like coming from you studied entrepreneurship, you were in Silicon Valley and now seeing those skills like or not skills, but those same trends kind of like show up in this world a little bit. What are some of the books to wrap up? I know that you're starting the S-Tier Book Club. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And what are going to be some of the first books that you guys offer in the book club and what what comes with all of that? Yeah. So the Short-Term Rental Book Club is exactly what it implies. It's a short-term rental book club for people who are investors or hosts or entrepreneurs. I think anyone who is into real estate investing or entrepreneurship in general will get a lot out of it. There aren't a lot of books written just about short-term rentals. So a lot of the books that we'll be reading are about mindset and productivity and growth. Maybe we need to include a book about venture-backed funding or venture-backed startups as well. But the first of every month, a book is delivered to their doorstep. So it's a subscription that includes the book. So we send them the book at the beginning of every month. And then throughout the month, we have a lot of content to encourage them to network and to kind of like share their favorite quotes, um, share what they're learning from the book. And then at the end of every month, we have a short-term rental book club meeting that's hosted by a different short-term rental expert. So everyone in the club gets to network and learn from someone who is maybe a few steps ahead of them in their journey. And then they also have the opportunity to share back to the expert and share with the other book club members. I'm so excited for this. I didn't realize that it was going to be experts hosting the calls. I thought it was going to be you guys every time. Will you lead any of the calls, though? Because I love you and I want to hear from you. Yeah, I think it was like, I mean, book club, to be completely transparent with everyone listening, like book club, I'm hoping is my venture backed idea. And I won't say where we see it leading, because obviously that's still very premature. But it was important to me that it wasn't about me and Skylar. Like we have our own channel we can share there. I would I would love to host one of the meetings and I'm sure I will. But I think it was important for me that like the book club doesn't belong to Skylar and I. It belongs to the short term rental industry in general. So we're kind of making an effort to like detach our identity from it. Okay, that's smart. Thinking, thinking ahead there. Do you have a tease? I know. Are you officially launching in March? We are launching. Our first month of book club will be March, but signups will start happening a few days from now. Oh, okay, okay. Good to know for reference you guys were recording this January 31st I'm not sure exactly when this episode will come back out but there you go um and do you know the first few books that'll be featured 
Yes. And we've decided this was like a topic of conversation. We've decided to keep the books like a secret until they arrive at, at someone's doorstep. So okay. we'll obviously post about it at some point, probably on the first of every month. And then we're asking members to like hold off on sharing all their stories or, or anything until the first. And I think it's kind of just a little like surprise and delight moment for them. Yeah, that's really cute. I'm so excited. I can't wait to sign up. And I've been reading a lot of books lately, too. But I like miss the community of like going through yeah. it with somebody. Right. Like in school, whenever you're assigned a book or something, you have like the whole class to debrief with it the next day. And you don't really get that anymore as an adult. So mm -hmm. I'm super excited for this community. Is there going to be like a Facebook group or anywhere where you can communicate between getting the book and the end of the month call? Yeah, the community aspect is actually my favorite part of book club. So we toyed around with doing like Slack, Discord, Facebook groups, something like that. And I'm a part of a ton of like Discord groups and we have our own Slack channel for our mentorship. And like, ultimately, I never check them. Like I never open the apps. I have no reason to be on there other than for this one specific thing. So what we're going to try out and what I hope ends up, ends up working is all of the book club members will be added as close friends to the short-term rental book club Instagram. And so we will have posts, real stories just for members. And every month there will be dedicated posts to a few different things. So one will be quotes for the month. There will be one post where you can go in any time and drop your favorite quote. There will be posts for people if they need promotion. So if you launched a new listing or if you launched a new business or if you need support on your Instagram. There will be posts for people who are looking for other people, like if they need a business partner or investor. So I'm hoping that this close friends concept works because I know that everyone in book club is on Instagram every single day. So if we can yeah. incorporate it on a platform, they're already checking. I'm hoping that will really encourage a lot of participation. And I think Instagram has that new feature now with like broadcast channels. Yeah. Have you seen that where you can start like a whole like group thread with people? So I feel like yeah. you could keep the communication there. But yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, I think we're. I'm hoping it works. If it doesn't work, we'll go over to one of the other platforms. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, cool. Where can people connect with you, Maddie, or sign up for the book club and just stay in touch with everything you're doing? Yeah. So my Instagram that I run with my partner, Skylar, is at Skylar and Maddie. And on TikTok, we're at Maddie and Skylar. We had to put a <laughs> And then if you're interested in buying a property upstate, our Instagram is at for the love of upstate. And then book club is thestrbookclub.com. Okay, got it. Maddie, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited to see you next week in Nashville. Um, I'm not sure when this episode comes out, but by the time people hear this, definitely you'll be able to sign up for the book club and everything and get all of that underway. Maddie, thank you so much. And I'm just really excited to continue following along and see where 2024 takes you. I feel like you guys are just you and Skylar are such a good example of like, even if something's working, if it's not aligned with you, you have no problems pivoting. And I really, really admire that. And yeah, I just can't wait to watch you guys like continue honing your way and figure out what really, really works for you. Yeah, thank you. This was so fun. Thank you, Maddie. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? I do need to warn you guys, I know this show is marked as explicit, but just just if you do have kids, like please put headphones in for this one or listen to it at a later time. Also, if you're eating right now, please just skip this one or listen at a later time. Okay. There's your warning. Let's get into this. This was posted in a Reddit group. Reddit, it's r slash. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Okay. <laughs> 
This was posted in a Reddit group called r slash poop loving couple. Okay, let's read this. This guest wrote, wife and I are in a dilemma. We accidentally left a mess at an Airbnb. We are at the airport right now, having been at a nursing conference for a week out of state. We rented an upscale Airbnb and being a practicing scat couple made quite a few messes. Experienced in this, we've been playing with shit for 15 plus years. We have an ironclad cleanup routine and in probably 50 rentals have never been caught, despite shitting extensively all around inside the properties. We highly respect the owners of the properties we stay in and of course believe our fetish shouldn't become their issue. We leave each of our properties with no traces. However, after checking into the airport today, we both realized we left a mess in one of the house's bathrooms. There was an upstairs bathroom in the spare room that we were not using, and there is two big piles of shit, one from each of us on the floor. Our goal was to return to them one evening to smear slash play while filming, but we totally forgot in our tipsy state. That's that's the post. Before you judge me, no, I was not browsing the r slash poop loving couple community. Okay, somebody took a screenshot of this and posted this in a hosting Facebook group. I know that we live in a culture where we are not supposed to judge anyone's kink or fetish, but y'all, I am judging. I am I am judging. What what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Stop. You like. Ew, 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 ew. This has to be a troll, right? Like, this has to be a troll. Stop. They were, they left two big piles of shit in the spare bathroom upstairs and they were planning to return to it to smear slash play while filming. This has to be a troll. Like, I, I cannot wrap my head around the fact that this would be real. If this is a real kink, I am judging you. I'm kink shaming you. I don't care that we're not supposed to do that in 2024. I, I fucking am. What is wrong with you? Please go see a therapist. Like, please go see a therapist. What Freudian shit, literally, what Freudian shit is going on in your life that that this turns you on? What the fuck? You are the Airbnb hole. Whatever shit is coming out of your Airbnb hole, can you just, like, flush it down a toilet like a normal person? Please, I don't care what your ironclad cleaning policy is, please do not do this in people's homes. Ew, ew, ew. You are on track to die an early death. Like, you're going to contract some sort of fecal disease from this. Ew. And can we point out that they said that they were at a nursing conference for the week? They said that they booked this Airbnb because they were at a nursing conference. How are you nurses? How are you a nurse? And you think it's okay to smear each other's feces? I, 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 I can't. I can't. Oh, my God. Ew. Ew. They are the Airbnb holes whatever literally whatever that host wants to charge them as an additional cleaning fee pay it no questions asked do not argue do not fight it i don't care if they send you a ten thousand dollar cleaning fee charge pay it and and do not argue ew and with that it is now checkout time thanks for listening and i'll see you back here next week Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.